0: Well, uh, thank you guys so much for having me this weekend. It's an honor to be here. And uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. So if you would open your Bibles to Psalm 1. Great to meet all of you. By the way, my name is not Blake Shelton. If you were wondering, some people have thought that. Uh, My parents were hippies, and so they named me Pilgrim. And so it could be worse. It could have been Pastor Moonchild or something like that. Uh, I was asking my dad. I was born in the late 70s, and I was asking my dad, why'd you go with Pilgrim? And of course, Pilgrim's Progress. And he said, you know, originally we were thinking of naming you Luke uh, because it's biblical. And, uh, and he said, but you were born right when Star Wars came out, so we didn't want to embarrass you. <laughs> so you named me Pilgrim. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. Uh, I just want to say thank you to the pastoral staff and specifically Nate. Uh, Pastor Nate is a great friend as I'm going to say tomorrow in the uh, Sunday services, he's got the best preaching voice ever and a great beard, so I appreciate that, uh, and I'll do my best to try to stand in uh, the pulpit this morning with not as powerful of a voice, but what a great uh, theme for this conference. As I was preparing uh, for these messages, I asked myself the question, and thankfully we just had it defined for us, but I, I asked the question, what, is, what does it mean to be resilient? And I, as any good pastor does, I asked Alexa, what does it mean <laughs> to be resilient? And a few seconds in, I was like, this can't be right. This can't be right at all. And apparently she misheard me and thought, I asked, what does it mean to be Brazilian? And so um, I was about 10 minutes in going, this can't be right. This is wrong. This is wrong. So the word resilient is not a word we find in our Bibles, but as we just saw demonstrated to us, it, it is uh, a word that... We have to consult the dictionary for to to understand. And so when you open the dictionary, you find these three words right out of the page. The word resilient can be defined as bouncy, rubbery, and volatile. So far, not so great. Not good. But then we read a little further, and we get a few more definitions. We get buoyant, strong, and tough. All right, now we're talking men's conference. In fact, we have a tiger for the theme logo. And so I had to put on Eye of the Tiger this morning, driving uh, up, and it's like, this, this is what it means to be resilient, strong. And resilient is a word that is used contextually, meaning you are not just resilient on your own. You are put into an environment that causes resilience or tests your resilience. Does that make sense? So the environment you find yourself in will test if you're truly resilient. Often, you'll be in an environment that's opposed to you or working against you. So the resilient soccer ball has been kicked by a thousand kindergartners and it still holds air. The resilient ship is not resilient because it's just sitting out in the harbor. It's resilient because it is being buffeted by the wind and the waves and it's staying buoyant. Uh, Of course, we would say the people in Ukraine today, most notably the president, are a resilient people. Why? Because of the threat uh, and the actual reality of invasion. And so men, we want to be resilient, meaning we are men who have been tested, we've been proven, and we are men of character and men of God, no matter what the opposition, no matter what the environment we may find ourselves thrown into. And as a pastor, I love to see men equipped to be the men that God has called them to be. The thing I say to our men is, men, you need to shut up, man up, zip up, and grow up. And I think as men, we can handle that. You're here this weekend with other men. And these other men around you want to encourage you to stop being a man child, to stop being Peter Pan, a boy who can shave, and to man up, to start taking responsibility and to take ownership for the life that God has entrusted to you. The scripture describes women, our wives, as a weaker vessel. Now that doesn't mean that they well they probably can't do as many pull-ups as uh as Manny, but the idea there is that they are they are in a way uh they're more delicate. They're they're uh there's something that not that they're not strong in the sense of weak, but that they're a little more uh fragile. And so we have to be careful, we have to be delicate with them. And so ostensibly the idea is that we as men can handle uh some things in a different way. And so uh you know, I want to just encourage us uh, this weekend to allow the Holy Spirit of God to make us more resilient, more buoyant, more uh, able to live in this world that would love to see us sink. The world would love to see us uh, weak in the Lord, but we're encouraged throughout scripture to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And so we're going to ask the Holy Spirit this morning to toughen our resolve, and to toughen up our courage, to shore up our weaknesses, and to make us equal to the task that God has given us to be men. Does that sound good? All right. Well, for two of you, that sounds good. Great. (laughs) One of my favorite man verses is a verse in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, before we get into our text, uh, it says, be watchful, this is Paul, he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. And so I see four ways that we're to stand there. We're to stand as a watchman. A watchman over our eyes, over our homes, over our walk with Christ. We're to be on guard. We're secondly to stand resolute, meaning we're firm in the faith. There's too many soft men out there. We need to be firm in what we believe. We're to stand resolute. Uh, We are to stand strong. He says act like men. Uh, So we're not passive. Uh, we stand like a man stands. And then he says to be strong. And so to be a man has a lot less to do with being macho and a lot more to do with being like the Messiah. And that's what we're going to look at today. My prayer is that we would come to understand what it means to be resilient, what it means to be a man after God's heart. Not just mentally, not just intellectually. No, This is not a class we're attending to regurgitate the material back to the instructor. This is something we want the Spirit of God to press upon our hearts. If we'd be willing, if we would say, yes, Lord, minister to my heart and allow me to minister to you. My prayer, and I know the pastor's prayer this weekend, is that we would leave this conference not the same way we walked in, but that we would leave transformed, and that's my prayer for us as well, that our hearts, like the men on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, they had spent time with Jesus and he revealed himself in the scriptures to them and it says that their hearts burned within them. That's my prayer for us this morning. That we would have a burning heart for the things of the Lord. So, because repetition is a great way to learn, I wanna do something special in our sessions together, these three sessions that we have, and that is that we're gonna read Psalm 1 together all the way through, in each session, and I'd like us to do this by way of reminder, or repetition, by standing. So if you guys have your Bibles, please stand with me as you're able, and let's read Psalm one. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together and for one another, and I invite you to extend your hand out or your hands out in a gesture of receiving. And so let's pray together, bow your heads with me. God of might and power, we are gathered together this morning to receive from you. And we pray, Jesus, that together as men, you would reveal your grace to us in a new and powerful way. We ask that the Spirit would bring glory to the Son, As we study your word, Lord, would you work obedience within us? Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So from this weekend, may we stand as gospel men. When cut, may we bleed scripture. When reviled against, may we return good for evil. When we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, may we count it a joy to suffer on your behalf. When faced with insurmountable opposition, we pray that we would stand bold and firm and not shrink back like so many in fear or in retreat. We ask, gracious God, that you would save men here this weekend who may be far from you, who don't yet know Christ. Would you reveal yourself through the gospel, through the scriptures? Lord, would you cause all of us, whether we're saved or not, to repent And to trust Christ. We ask God that you would equip us for every good work, and that we as men of God may be complete, lacking nothing. So, Holy Spirit, work in us now which is that which is pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever, and all God's men said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. Psalm one. It's the first song in the hymn book of Israel. We call this the songs, but these are 150 songs uh, that God's people sang and continue to sing. And this may seem overly obvious, but I want to point out that what we're doing today in these three sessions is we're exegeting, we're taking a song that was meant to be sung, and we are going verse by verse through it and study. And so don't worry, uh, we're not going to sing Psalm 1 today, don't, don't be afraid. Um, what we're going to study at this conference is something that uh, you know, doesn't necessarily have a bridge or a chorus, but what it does have is a description of a beautiful, blessed life. The early church father, Jerome, once quoted the opinion of some that Psalm 1 was different than the rest of the Psalms and was actually the Holy Spirit's special preface to the rest of the Psalms. Why is that? Because this psalm seems to exist separated from all of the other Psalms standing alone as an outline for what it looks like to be a worshiper, what it looks like to be blessed versus wicked. And it shows us that the blessed ones are the ones that show a concern for God, the ones who live for God, the ones who trust in the God of promise. And then the rest of the Psalms detail to us the goodness and the faithfulness of a God who can still be worshiped in joy or in calamity, in blessing, or in trouble, as we look back at his faithfulness and look ahead with hope to his glory. Thomas Watson, one of the commentators I like to read, said, The psalm of psalms may well be called a Christian's guide, for it discovers the quicksands where the wicked sink down in perdition and the firm ground on which the saints tread To glory, And we might add today, it details for us as well what it means to be a resilient man. So we're going to study the psalm in these three sessions. And here for the first session, we're only going to cover the first two verses. And we're going to look at how the resilient man today, firstly, is resolved. That's the first thing we're going to look at. He's a man of resolve. And we're going to see that this man of resolve does three things. And so look with me again at verse 1, at the first one. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Note with me the first word of the book of Psalms and the first word of this song is the word blessed or blessed. Now, this word is overused and misused on social media. People use this to say, like maybe you will later today, hey, we're having tacos, hashtag blessed. It's overused. It's overused. Um, I caught a fish, and, you know, it was this big, and if we're really being honest, <laughs> it wasn't. You know, we're lying a little bit, so hashtag blessed. Hey, our team won. Hashtag blessed. I'm eating this greasy pizza. Hashtag not so blessed. Uh, so is that what the Bible describes? Is that, is that the idea of the word blessed? Well, thankfully, no. The, the Hebrew word means more than just blessed. It actually comes from another word, which in its root form means to be right, or to be straight. So when David is saying that this man or woman is blessed, the idea is deeper than how we might use the word. And the word actually means, oh, how happy. But it's more than just mere happiness, which can come and go. It means to be complete or to be contented or to be whole. So in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uses this phrase when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are, and he goes through, and he literally is saying, oh, how happy, oh, how contented, oh, how straight, oh, how right, oh, how whole is the person who endures uh, these different uh, statuses in life. And so it ultimately means to be right with God, to be righteous, and thus to be fulfilled above all other means of happiness or contentment that are under the sun. And now, that sounds completely opposite to what the world feeds us, doesn't it? In fact, William MacDonald says, daily the world is being brainwashed into thinking that true and lasting satisfaction is found by indulging the lust of the flesh. So television, radio, movies, and magazines all suggest that permissiveness is the road to fulfillment. In the life of purity, it's dismissed as puritanical, but the psalmist sets the record straight. So who is the blessed man? If you're taking notes, number one, He is someone who avoids wicked influences. Note with me who he is and where he is. He is and where he's not in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Notice that verse 1 is a progression, or you could say a a digression, uh, of where the blessed man is not going, where he's not allowing himself to be taken captive. It's a slowing as well of momentum. Notice that first he's walking, and then suddenly he's standing, and then before you know it, he might find himself sitting. Now, most men would admit that they're trying to walk with the Lord as as believers, as Christians. We're trying to walk with the Lord, and we don't give up our faith overnight. Today, there's a movement that's become popular of of deconstructing. It's almost like I've come out of the The Christian closet to say oh yeah I'm no longer a believer anymore and and the world applauds that says oh that's great for you I'm so happy for you Uh, it doesn't happen overnight typically we're walking with the Lord we're we're seeking after him but then something causes our walk to slow down something impedes our progress so we just slow down and stand and then before you know it as we're standing around we get discouraged and then we find ourselves sitting among the scoffers It's a progression over time. But see, the blessed man doesn't do those things. And first, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. If you have a a pen, circle the word counsel here. It's used 52 times in the Old Testament as just that, counsel. But 11 times, it's used as the word advice. So the idea here is that the blessed man does not look at a different viewpoint or a different set of advice or a different course of action apart from the revelation of God as God has revealed himself in his law or in his truth. So often this idea of counsel is going to consult someone who will advise you, going to a mentor, going to someone who will guide you and help you make decisions. I read about a company that wanted to improve their efficiency, so they brought in a consultant, and the consultant Uh, Brought all of the meeting, uh, all the employees together to this big uh, meeting. And he said, you guys need to listen to experts. You're not listening to experts. And so uh, let let me give a little, let's do a little activity together. And so he said, okay, everybody here, imagine you're on the Titanic and it's sinking and you find yourself in a lifeboat. Which direction do you row? And no one really had an answer. And then he said, well, what if you had the ship's navigator with you? In your lifeboat? Would you listen to the navigator tell you where to go? And would you obey it? And a few people started chiming in, yeah, I guess. And uh, then one employee in the back piped up and he said, well, I don't know. He's already hit one iceberg. <laughs> Can't always trust the experts. And so the council of the ungodly, the council of this world, would seek to conform us into a pattern, and the pattern is always eventually rebellion against God. If you don't believe me, just read ahead to Psalm 2. They've conspired in their hearts to cast off Yahweh. Their counsel is wicked. Their way is sinful. Their posture eventually is to sit and to scoff at the unchanging truth and revelation of God. So the resolved man does not do that. He doesn't Take the advice. He rejects the advice, the wisdom, the influences that the wicked are inundating him constantly. Whether it's at the water cooler, or it's by the neighbor, or it's uh, on the job site, it's a constant influence that he chooses to and resolves to be not walking in. One pastor, Stephen Cole, asked the question What is the counsel of the ungodly? What is the counsel of the wicked? And I thought these are very helpful. Uh, I think we have them on the screen. So the counsel of the wicked overall will deny the sufficiency of Scripture for dealing with the problems of the soul. They'll say, hey, Scripture's great and it's inspired by God, but it's not sufficient. It's not enough. We need to turn to other avenues. Uh, That's dangerous counsel. It also exalts the pride of man and takes away from the glory of God. It puts too much emphasis on us. It also denies or minimizes the need for the cross of Christ. How so? Either exalting the basic goodness of man or downplaying the impact of the fall. And so it's a, it's a minimizing of the cross. Now the cross is, yeah, that's nice, but let's graduate on to deeper truth. Uh, it also denies God's moral absolutes, and it substitutes our relative human goodness. And finally, it focuses on pleasing self rather than on pleasing God and others. You see, this is the counsel, the influence of the wicked. But the blessed man, the resilient man, he rejects all of that as he's walking with his Lord. But not only does he not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but secondly, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. Uh, He doesn't stand there. The word way implies a path or a direction. And so to stand in the way of sinners means to plant your feet on a path that leads away from the word and will of God. It's to reject God and to choose lawlessness, to choose rebellion, to seek to just gratify the flesh. But the resolved man doesn't stand there, nor does he sit. And he sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, that word scoffer is someone who is a mocker, they're deriding They're not just uh, ignorant of God and not really paying attention uh, like an agnostic might be. No, this is someone who expresses their utter contempt for God. Often this word was found in military documentation of a force that would oppose an army. Uh, it, It means to fight against and to ridicule. So you see the progression here, men? As you're walking with God, it's just subtle. You begin to listen to other counsel. You begin to listen to rebellious counsel. And this begins to shape your mind. It changes your mind. When we change our mind, we eventually change our behavior. We begin to live out rebellious counsel with rebellious living. And eventually this will cause you to blame God, to revile against God as a scoffer. Now Spurgeon said the seat of the scoffer looks lofty, but it's seated next to hell. I thought, wow, that's heavy. Uh, I want us to consider for a minute uh, just... What influence do we allow from the wicked into our lives? And just consider our friendships for a minute. I heard the story of a man named Sean who had grown up in the church, and uh, he had grown up as a youth with his best friend Gary. And uh, just very fascinating that both of them, Sean and Gary, made a commitment at age 13. They had come down, they had received Christ, they had both gotten baptized together, and they were serving in the youth ministry and just had a heart that was uh, on fire, so to speak, for, for the Lord. Well, over the years, Sean moved away and lost track of Gary. And uh, it was about 20 years later that he went to look him up. And thankfully, we have Google, we have Facebook. So he starts looking him up and eventually finds out that his good friend Gary was in prison. And so he's a little bit stunned, a little bit surprised, and definitely curious. Why? What happened? And so he went uh, and visited the state prison, sat down at the booth, And uh, the way that he tells the story is that when the man walked in in the jumpsuit and sat down in front of him, he didn't know, he thought, I got the wrong Gary. Uh, This is not the guy. Uh, And so he picks up the phone to speak with him, and um, all he got out, which is probably not the most kind thing to say, but all he got out was, what happened, Gary? (laughs) And he said the next four words out of Gary's mouth were the last four words he was expecting. Four little words, how important, how devastating they proved to be. Gary said, I had these friends. It was these friends that influenced me, that pulled me in this direction. Howard Hendricks says, the two factors which will influence you, or most influence where you will be in 10 years from now, are the books you read and the friends you make. Wow. You see, in Daniel chapter 1, the Babylonians had carried most of the able-bodied young men away from their home in Israel, into exile. They were given new names, new identities, new homes, new jobs, even offered new diets, which would cause them, if they were to carte blanche go for it, it would cause them to violate God's law regarding unclean animals. And here's where many men go wrong, right here, in Daniel 1. They think, I'm far from home, no one's around, I'm being tempted to do something contrary to the word of God, and it's not that big of a deal anyway. God understands. It's fine. But how does Daniel respond? Daniel 1.8 says, I think we have it on the screen, but Daniel resolved, there's that word, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Daniel didn't walk into Babylon and stand in front of the table with the unclean spread of shrimp And decide in that moment, oh, I should probably resist temptation. I should probably eat vegetables or something. It wasn't in that moment. No, it was most likely years and years earlier. Long before he was placed in a spot of compromise, he had purposed in his heart, if I'm ever in that situation, if I were ever to sit down and they bring these unclean items in front of me, I purpose in my heart and I resolve to not give in. Much like Joseph. As Potiphar's wife comes to seduce him, he would have many years earlier said, if I'm ever in that situation where a woman tries to seduce me, I'm just going to run. That's my plan. I'm just going to run. Now, of course, she grabbed his cloak and he ran naked. So that was unexpected. But he had purposed in his heart long before that, that he would not sin. There's a friend of mine who's a musician. And um, one time he was playing at a bar And uh, a woman kept making eye contact with him, and uh, she was, like, dancing very provocatively in front of him. And he usually went with his wife to sing together when they do these little gigs, these open mic nights, or when they get paid to play, but his wife wasn't there that night. And so here's this woman making eyes on him and dancing sexually in front of him. And so after he finished one of the songs, she came up to him, and she leans in like this, and he thought, oh, my gosh, she's coming in for a kiss, And so um, he had already told his wife, though, if a woman ever comes on to me at a bar, I'm literally going to hit her with my guitar. (laughs) Now, I still don't really believe that this story happened, but he tells me, like, this definitely happened. But uh, almost reflexively, he he said that she leaned in, and he just, boom, like right in her face, like right up her chin. And she kind of stumbles back, stunned. Uh, and, and then kind of comes to, and she, she then says, I was going to ask if you could sing happy birthday to my friend. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, that was the last time my friend played at that bar. Um. The question, though, is are you resolved ahead of time in the secret place when the temptation's not strong? Maybe this weekend's a time to resolve. You know, the next time I have free time, I'm not going to be tempted anymore to click on that website. You know what, I'm gonna be resolved ahead of time that I'm not going to pick up the bottle. You know, I'm gonna resolve this time while I'm here at this conference that I'm not gonna allow whatever that temptation might be, I'm resolving in my heart, I'm purposing in my heart, I'm not gonna be carried away captive by these wicked influences. So the first important point about the resolved man is what he doesn't do. He doesn't allow outside unbiblical worldviews to shape him. He builds instead protection in his life against temptation and against influence. He's resilient against evil. But the second point is just as important. Number two, he also adores God's word. Look at the first half of verse 2. It says, but, even though he doesn't do these things, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. See, here's the positive side of the ledger. The Christian faith is not just prohibitions where we cross our arms and sit in a quiet room, I'll never go outside again because the world's too tempting. Uh, No, the positive is that we find our delight, our joy, and our satisfaction in the Word of God. And that shapes us as we spend time in it daily. Now, this sounds a little bit odd when you read it at first glance. His delight is in the law, of the law. Like, we don't see this. We don't see, except maybe lawyers, just sitting around enjoying with delight the law. I love the law. None of us look at a speed limit sign as we're driving and go, oh man, I'm just so happy, so happy to slow down. Uh, and so, this idea of the law of the Lord, it's not merely the Ten Commandments, it's speaking to all of God's revelation. In fact, when you read through the Psalms, especially Psalm 119, you see uh, precepts, commandments, uh, law, all these different uses of the same concept, God's revelation. Uh, and so there's a driving desire in the resolved man for the revelation of God, for the, 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 the truth of God to speak to us. Charles Spurgeon says, man must have some delight, some supreme pleasure. His heart was never meant to be a vacuum. If not filled with the best things, it will be filled with the unworthy and the disappointing." Many men find their delight in their work, Uh, and they're glad to spend hours and hours in the office instead of at home. Many men, like me, delight in our sports. Uh, In Tampa, it's been a delightful few years with the Bucks, but number 12 just retired, and so we're back to awful. It's great. In fact, I think I'm going to switch to being a 49ers fan. Is that a thing? I don't know. But some of you guys delight way too much in sports. I mean, just like way too much. I enjoy it. I enjoy a good football game. I enjoy watching. But, uh, I mean, you guys, there's some guys, they don't know a single name in church history. They're like, who? But they can tell you all the stats on that one particular running back from Ohio State. They've got it all dialed in. They've got all the stats. Uh, and so uh, we've seen people delight in different things, delighting in politics. And why are they always sharing their opinion at family get-togethers? So they're always very strong on those. Some men delight in their coffee, their tattoos, their choice of beer, or the next Batman movie that's coming out. There's a new restaurant opening. Their eyes light up. Uh, There's a new vegan toothpaste that's out. This is awesome. Uh, Others will delight in the, the TV show that they binge watch. But listen, men, how we spend our time, how we spend our talents, how we spend our treasure reveals where our true delight is found. And instead of delighting in these things, and it doesn't mean we can't enjoy them, but instead of putting all of our delight in hope, the resilient man finds pleasure In the Word of God. The word delight here is used in the Old Testament to sometimes to describe a man who finds delight in a woman. Wow. That tells us something. One person said, Have you noticed when when a young man delights in a woman, he rearranges his priorities so that suddenly he has plenty of time to spend with her. And he doesn't do it because he has to, he does it because he wants to. Nothing interferes with the time he has spending with the object of his delight. That's the word that's used. That's, that's what is being said here. His delight, like a young man pursuing a woman, his delight is in God's word. Psalm 119, verse 24, David affirms, your testimonies are my delight. They're my counselors. So God's word is to be a delight, not a duty. And maybe we should take some time this weekend to repent if that's been our posture. If we've been delighted in everything around the scripture instead of God's counsel, may the Holy Spirit rekindle a love and a fervor in our hearts for God's word. You see, when we delight in the word of God, his counsel begins to shape us, unlike the world's wicked counselors. And the third idea is a little bit similar to the second idea. Not only does he adore God's word, but number three, the resolved man abides in God's word. Look at the second half of verse two. Not only is his delight in the law of the Lord, but it says on his law he meditates day and night. You see, the word is something he pursues, not neglects. Not only does he read it, he meditates on it. Now, this idea of meditating has with it the idea of constancy and consistency. Don't don't like think of in your mind someone who's doing yoga or hot yoga, whatever that is, off in a corner uh, in the lotus position, humming. That's not the idea when we think about meditation. The idea is that it's constant, it's consistent, it's day, it's night. Just like your morning, afternoon, evening meal, there's a normal and frequent diet of scripture consumption in the life of the resilient man. In fact, the idea of meditating, the original language of Hebrew, was this idea uh, of mumbling something under your breath, or to mutter, or to muse, to chew on something, When you taste something delicious like a New York strip steak, man, you you chew on that. You savor it. It takes a few minutes. You don't just gulp it down. You want to savor the flavor. And so the resolved man delights in opening God's word, reading God's word, chewing on and considering and memorizing God's word and doing this on a consistent daily basis. There is a direct link between God himself and God's people. And that link is what connects us to the heart of God. It connects God to us and us to God. And, and that link where God's revelation brings endurance and encouragement, Romans 15, it brings endurance and encouragement to God's people, and that causes hope to spring back up to God and worship back up to Yahweh, adoration, That link between God and his people is his word. It's his revelation. It's the scriptures. And see, that's why, man, it's so important that we are resolved men of the book, that we meditate on it daily, that we orient our lives, even our daily lives, around the study of and submission to the scripture. If you're here and you're a Christian man and you say, I don't really spend any time in God's word on a daily basis, then I would say, in effect, what you're saying, what you're communicating is, you know what, I don't need God's revelation today. I don't need to hear from God, I'm too busy. Or I'm uninterested in hearing what God has to say. And yet, we walk out and we fill our minds with the voices of a thousand other counselors. And then we wonder, why do I lack the knowledge of God's word and God's will in this situation? It's because we have not hidden the word of God in our hearts. So he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. Men, we must guard our lives from the influence of the ungodly. God is calling us as men to stay buoyant in a world that would see us sink. But oh, how happy is the man who follows the counsel of the word of God, who ignores the folly of man's wisdom, who seeks after, who stays close to the source of living water. He will be contented indeed. And we'll look at that a little bit more in our second session, this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Now, as we close this first session, um, I was delighted this week. I love history. I was delighted this week to watch the news that they've discovered the sunken ship from Ernest Shackleton called the Endurance. How many of you have heard of Ernest Shackleton or heard of the Endurance? Awesome. Good. Both of you have heard of it. Great. Uh, Ernest Shackleton was he, was, he was amazing. He was OG. This guy was a, not just an explorer, a polar explorer during the time of the Titanic. I mentioned the Titanic earlier. Um, and they just found his ship preserved, almost intact, 100%, 100 years after it had shipwrecked near Antarctica. So he was a contemporary of Theodore Roosevelt and not just an explorer, a polar explorer. Lots of men had, been navigating ships around the world in the uh, the early 20th century. But what Shackleton wanted to do was insane. What he wanted to do, um, the Titanic had just sunk. It was in the early 1900s, uh, 19-teens. And uh, the the questions were happening around the world concerning, like, should we uh, trek across the oceans, Uh, let alone the uncharted Areas of the globe. And see, what Shackleton did differently was that he wanted to explore Antarctica. And yet, not just find it, because it had already been found, he wanted to cross Antarctica on land. And so uh, he was Norwegian, uh, and this other Norwegian explorer had already reached the South Pole, but he wanted to cross the continent and, and boldly go where no man had gone before, so to speak. You'd almost hear Doc Brown saying, roads Where we're going, we don't need roads. He's going to cross Antarctica. Not just get there, cross it. And so what's interesting is how he recruited men to join him. He was looking for men who were as resolved and as crazy as he was. So experience was not important. Resolve was important. So December 5th, 1914, Shackleton set out with a crew of 27 men. uh, And on the ship known as the Endurance but they never reached the continent. What happened was a few days out of South Georgia, which is not the state, by the way, uh, out of South Georgia, the island in the southern Atlantic, the ship got stuck in pack ice, which eventually crushed the ship. And on November 21st, 1915, the crew had to abandon ship, and the ship sank in the icy waters of the Weddell Sea. They had three lifeboats, and they landed on Elephant Island. Do we have a picture of that, guys? I think we have a picture of Elephant Island. It's an ice island, okay? It's just rock and ice. And so taking five men with him, history says Shackleton set out over 800 miles in this small boat uh, to find help in some of the most dangerous seas in the, on the planet. He came back four months later. So he left his men for four months on this ice island. And when he got back, all 22 men were alive. History records him standing up saying, there they are, skipper. They're all safe. Now, how did he leave 22 men on an ice island? Uh, and how did they survive months and months? In fact, they all survived two years uh, with a destroyed ship. Well, I can tell you that it was not because they were the best in the, in the world with a, with, a, with a sailboat or with an oar. Uh, All of their money, all of their expertise, all of their schooling, all of their education, all of their family background, all of their reputation was useless during the months in the frigid cold. So what set these men apart was how Shackleton recruited them. Uh, He had put an ad in the London newspaper, and we have a transcript of the original job description. Simon Sinek, uh, who does a TED Talk on this, it's really fascinating, he says this, he says, The ad did not read this. The ad did not read, qualified men needed for expedition. Minimum five years experience. You must know how to hoist a mainsail. Come work for me, a fantastic captain. No, rather than posting the experiential requirements, here's what the ad read in the London Times. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, Honor and recognition in case of success. (laughs) Sign me up. So by nature, the very men who were equal to such a task were the very ones who came out and who signed up and said, I'll do that. Hazardous journey, bitter cold, complete dark, constant danger. Honor and recognition in case we succeed, sign me up. I'm in. Men, may we be those sort of men. Men wanted for a hazardous journey. Men who are willing to be resilient no matter what may come our way. That we're men who choose to forsake evil and to adore Christ in his word. My prayer is that we would look to Christ this weekend, not to our own strength, that we would abide in Christ beyond this weekend so that we can stand in the evil day and after having done everything to stand. Amen? Let's do that together. Let's stand and we'll close this session in prayer. Father, that's our desire today. We don't want today just to be an exercise in basic encouragement, but then we go home and are unchanged, like the man looking in the mirror and seeing something needs to change, and yet he just walks away unscathed. Lord, we want your word as we look into it this weekend. We want it to reflect back to us our great need. Lord, we know that in our own strength we can't do this, but we ask that by your spirit, you would work resilience in us, work resolve in us. Lord, for some of us today, we need to be resolved to sin no more. And so Lord, would you reveal by your spirit those areas of influence that we've allowed in? Would you give us a hunger and a delight in your word? And Lord, would you give us the desire every morning, every evening, on our lunch break, maybe when we're commuting, to listen to the word of God, to meditate, on the scriptures. Lord, would you refresh us this weekend as we refresh one another in your presence. We thank you for this time and we ask that you continue to minister to us for Christ's sake. And all God's men agree and say, amen. Amen.